and welcome to the Board Game Dojo. My name is Eric. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Whether it's your first episode this year, you've listened to us all year, or somewhere in between, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Sincerely, thank you for spending some of your time with us today. We haven't been posting a lot lately on YouTube or podcasts. We've been uh, taking some time off for the holidays. But speaking of holidays, today is actually going to be our first annual of this kind of holiday episode because coming soon we have New Year's and New Year's is one of the biggest holidays if not the biggest holiday of the year in Japan and one thing you do and I think we kind of do this internationally as well right all over the world is we kind of think about we kind of reflect on the past year and it's important to kind of get out the negativity to get those feelings that you have about 2023 now out off your chest and then come into the next year with some positivity. So that is the kind of episode that we are going to do and hopefully start to do annually is that today's episode, we're going to get things off of our chest. And we've invited people from other podcasts and YouTubes to get things off of their chest that was on their mind this year for 2023. And then come back for our first episode of the new year in which we can talk about our hopes and our positivity for 2020. Now, before we even begin, I have to be honest with you because I feel kind of bad about this because I actually came up with this idea for these episodes a couple days before Christmas. And so it's been less than a week and I kind of put it all over. I like sent messages to a bunch of different podcasters and YouTubers and content creators and things like that just saying like, hey, I think we have a new idea. What do you think? And a lot of them came back to me and said, well, yeah, I think I would have done it had you given me more time to do it or I'm already on vacation. I'm already on break and I didn't bring any of my recording stuff. And because of that, I just want to give a huge shout out to everybody who took the time to record a spot for today's show. But I don't think that I can say that, hey, this is like our idea and have somebody else start it off. It is only right for if we're going to get some things off of our chest for me, maybe to start it off. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. My hot take, the thing that I want to get off of my chest, and it's not so much a hot take, I think, of something that maybe I've just been thinking about a lot is we on this channel, we try to show you a bunch of games from all over Asia. And we've been trying to get better about that in this last year of doing countries that aren't Japan, even though we're from Japan. And we also play a lot of games that we actually don't end up covering in the podcast or on YouTube as well. And I think one of the things that I have really been thinking about a lot is why are some of these games not popular abroad? Or why are they not getting any traction when maybe they have some good art to them or an interesting design to them? And I don't just want to put it all on the language barrier, even though I do think that's it. My thing that has been on my mind a lot is I think that one of the primary reasons why games from Asia, especially Japan, are not going to get picked up abroad is simply that people do not care enough about the rule book. Yes, it is one of the primary criticisms we have, but that is one of the reasons that I have been thinking about it so much is that I think more often than not, 
a rulebook editor is looking at a lot of games that come out of Germany, that come out of the U.S. and these other publishers. And it's because they have figured out that it is so important to have that really positive first impression, that first interaction with the game. Yes, you're going to open it up and you're going to see all the components. And that's a very important aspect to it as well, that opening package, right? But also... People need to learn how to play your game. And if people cannot learn how to play your game from the rule book, then people are just not going to want to play it. I cannot tell you how many games I have in my collection that I only have. I've only bought it because somebody taught me the game because they went through the slog that was learning the rule book and I didn't have to. And later on, I would have a question about it and I would look in the rule book and see what a mess it absolutely was. And I think that there are really two big drivers for this reason. And one of which, I, and I think this is the smaller reason for it, is just the hubris of some companies or this kind of thing of either I don't need to hire an outside editor because we can do a good enough job or that the job of writing the rulebook should just be the job of whoever designed the game in the first place. You know what? The only people we need on the rulebook is the designer, the illustrator, the publisher, and some playtesters, and that is it. That is all we need to work on our game. We do not need this outside help. And we definitely know a couple companies who are in that line of thinking of how could an editor or some kind of graphic designer or anything like that, how could they do a better job of writing the rules and making it clear how to play the game than whoever designed the game in the first place? But I think that the other and probably the more major reason of this is just money. It costs money to hire a rulebook editor. And a lot of these indie games that we talk about or so-called dojin games that we talk about, they probably don't have the money to hire a rulebook editor. But for me, that is probably the biggest obstacle if we're going to get to the point where we want to say, you know what, the Tokyo game market is becoming this kind of international thing. They're now partnering with Essen and they want to sell to more foreigners who are maybe experiencing or trying out Japanese games for the first time. How can we get them to try out our games? You know what it is? You have to spend the money to get a rulebook editor so people will learn how to play your game and then they will tell other people what a great game that it is is if people cannot understand how to play your game or do not want to take the time to read your slog of a rule book that is poorly laid out, has typos on it, whatever it might be, then your game is just not going to be a success. And this is not just including games that want to be sold abroad. I am talking about that there's just more competition for people's money now that board games are becoming more popular every single year in Japan. We just had something that I saw on Instagram that Simichan sent me where one of the fashion magazine had fashionable board games to play. So it is something where I think people are going to need to invest a little bit more in things that'll differentiate their game from others. And being able to be easy to learn from a rule book is one of those things. And one of the reasons I think that money is one of the things that maybe gets in the way of this is that we see what happens with publishers when they do have more money. I do not do a whole lot of crowdfunding anymore, but a lot of Japanese companies are starting to be more and more present on online platforms, whether it's something that just ships in Japan like Campfire or international ones like Kickstarter. And on every single campaign that I've seen so far, they have all, if they have funded, hired a rulebook editor. 
not just for the international version of the rulebook, but for the original version of the game. Even if it had already had a rulebook before and this was like a second edition, they were hiring a rulebook editor to take a look at it. I got Gin Crafters with the expansions and it is a beautiful looking game. And the best part about it, seriously, when I opened the package was that I opened up the rulebook and in both Japanese and English, it was so well laid out. It was so easy to learn from. I read the rulebook once and knew every rule of the game. And that is so nice. It is so refreshing to have that. And speaking of crowdfunding, I think it is about time that we let somebody else take a turn on the mic. Hi, everybody. This is Sam from Board Game Duel. Here's my hot take. Everybody should know this by now. It's almost 2024. Most crowdfunded games arrive late. So expect delays and stop complaining that you're not getting your game early or that tours get them before you. Unless they, they promised you that during the campaign, they don't owe you to they don't need to get you to your games before everybody else. So just relax, stop complaining, and enjoy the dozens and dozens of games you already own. Everybody will be much happier for it. See you in 2024. Ooh, that is an interesting take. And it is interesting to think about, too, of the reason why delays happen in crowdfunding. I mean, some of it can absolutely be due to incompetence for sure, but a lot of it is in parts of the reason why board games differentiate themselves from video games. Unlike video games, there can be no release day patch for the board game. They need to make sure that when you put it on your table, it is absolutely good to go. And it is something that, yes, they can release expansions to try to work with stuff in the future, but they do want it to last for a really long time. I remember my just kind of impatience with Seize the Bean, a game that was, I think, four years delayed or something like that due to just the perfectionism of the person. And maybe that's an extreme example because I was getting pretty irritated at the perfectionism. Like, okay, now at this point, I really do just want a game. But when it's a few months delayed because they weren't happy with the first production samples or something like that, I think I can forgive that a little bit. So we might have to have a talk about that, Sam. But it is interesting to think about that too, because if I can wait only, you know, a half a year for a game, and then that makes it last another year or two on my shelf because it is a better production, or it is worth it for me when I can, because of the better production quality, better rule book, whatever it might be, I can share that game with more people. Checking in from Intertextual Cardboard Experience, this is Ryan, uh, also known as Vodpod from many places on the internet that I frequent, but I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Eric and the Board Game Dojo podcast for setting up this opportunity with, with some reflections for the year. So uh, I thought and... And hopefully uh, the goal isn't to be, you know, super uh, preachy here, but I'm not sure if it's a, a hot take per se, but one of the things that I was kind of thinking about within the past year of the hobby for me is the idea of uh, community and and kind of like mixing that idea with, with other uh, elements of being part um, of 
you know, the board gaming hobby, so to say. So, you know, I think over the past handful or so of years, there's been a huge, huge rise in the number of games and, you know, huge Kickstarters, uh, other crowdfunding types of things. And, and there's obviously like that push for uh, consumerism, which is not something that I am uh, immune to uh, either. Um, but I think like the idea of of growing as a community can really help strike that that balance. So I think the things uh, trying to find that that happy medium. Like I definitely buy games that that may not be for me, or or that you know I kind of hope will be, and and you know some of them stick around with that hope. Some of them I'll play and realize that they're not the ones for me and I'll, uh, you know, kind of get rid of them, you know, it all really depends. But, uh, end of the day, my thought is how, you know, communities, whether, whether it's just like realizing, uh, the community that you're a part of, especially if you're not thinking about, you know, branching out and, and going to different like conventions or find different gaming groups or, or growing that way. And just being happy with that uh, community, uh, seeing what types of communities you can be a part of on the internet, you know, whatever it is, I think, I think thinking about uh, community as a way to like grow uh, within the hobby and, and just to increase like your own kind of like particular uh, enjoyment and game playing and everything like that is uh, what it is that I'm uh, thinking about. So, well, there's there's a whole bunch <laughs> that I could probably unpack. Introduce my podcast at the beginning, and, and I kind of forgot that, you know, that was one of the things that I was uh, thinking about with community, too, and just uh, connecting in different ways. So I, you know, will willingly uh, and, and gratefully am able to plug... Uh, my show and and say that I think it's good and I kind of don't even feel bad uh, saying that I think it's good just because it is an interview based podcast so I've had all these really awesome guests on and you know they're able to share their thoughts way more eloquently uh, than I am so you know that is just like a thing so I don't know uh, maybe that makes sense uh, maybe that doesn't that's my little uh, yearly uh, debrief and uh, take from that uh, what you will and and you know again thanks again to uh, Board Game Dojo podcast and all of you and checking this out uh, if you haven't listened and considering giving my show a shot uh, thank you yeah I think community and building community in board gaming really is one of my favorite parts of board gaming and one of the main reasons why I love this hobby so much. It's something that I never quite got with video games because when I play video games, I'm kind of looking for my own experience kind of by myself. Maybe that's just me, but those are the kind of video games that I play. But board games, when I'm playing board games, I'm actually almost the complete opposite that I don't play solo board games very often. When I'm playing board games, I'm looking to have an experience with somebody. 
And especially now that the world has kind of opened back up a little bit more in 2023, uh, Japan has been open all year this year, so people can leave and come back freely now, can travel to and from freely now. There are just a lot more opportunities for that to happen. But something that has kept around since during the pandemic is digital board gaming. Tabletopia and Board Game Arena have continued to allow people to not only try new games before they buy it, but allow people to play with people that they normally wouldn't get to play with. And that has led a lot of people to really enjoy board gaming in a new way, including Sumachan. And speaking of which, Simachan's hot take for today is that most of the time, she would prefer playing the board game on Board Game Arena rather than the analog version. And when she said that, I kind of took a step back and said, wow, really, that's kind of interesting. But thinking about it more, it really is true for her. Besides when we play party games, some of her favorite games really are just when we're playing the two of us. And a lot of those games are excellent in a digital implementation. One of her favorite games that she's been enjoying lately has been Tick to Ride and the new Tick to Ride Europe implementation that they have. And it was getting to the point where I actually asked her, hey, do you want me to just buy a copy of this game? You seem to really enjoy this game. She said, no, I don't think I would like it analog, actually. I like the fact that we don't need to set up. It's just already there. We don't have to play with the pieces and find what pieces we need. We don't need to shuffle the cards to do it. And I always know what I can do on my turn. And that's the thing that's true for a lot of games, she says, is that because you don't have to worry about set up and takedown, we can reset we can play a new game right away or we can change games and go to a different one and again we don't have to clean up the first one and then set up the second one and then if she doesn't remember exactly all the rules all the time there are buttons that she can click and see right there but the other thing that she likes about it is that yes there is a subscription with the service but it also means that you have just less stuff you are buying less stuff stuff and you have less stuff in your house, which is very important to her, trust me. And that means that you are keeping a more curated collection and buying less stuff that you might not actually like, which is something that I think a lot of people have been thinking about. Hello, this is Ryan and Patrick from Trick Talkers. And we are going to talk about our cleansing. The cleansing, I guess. The great (laughs) detox cleansing of the year. Yeah, the thing we want to get off our chest. Like it's going to be very surprising. Absolute shock horror. Yes. No one's going to see it coming. Should we do it very slowly? A very slow reveal? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. This is great so far. Simultaneous good... slow reveal or? On the count of three, said at the same time. Okay. On. Okay. Three, two, two one. Buy, buy less, less games. games. There we go. Wow, it's we said it was <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty good. It was. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, so that's our big thing. I don't think it's actually that shocking or surprising <laughs> at all. Patrick had a challenge in 2023. And if you want to explain that a little bit more. Well, let's just say there were people rooting for me and it wasn't Cole Worley. It was, of course, all the lovely people in the Discord servers and the communities basically saying, you're doing great. Keep it up. And famous last words, of course, because my challenge was to acquire 12 games, 12 games only. But the catch was that I didn't 
Ryan, I didn't allow myself any trades. Well, I did, but I counted those as part of the 12. I went to a board game convention, fell off the rails. And suddenly that 12, I think I lasted about six months. And then all of a sudden. Which is still pretty impressive. It was. And you know, I'm pleased with myself. I'm proud of myself is probably the right word for that six months. But the point is, I made it a challenge that was miserable for me to complete, but also seemingly impossible because I set the boundaries in a way that I didn't set myself up to succeed. And I think that's the problem sometimes is you can go one extreme to the other. We talk about cold cold turkey, and it's weird to use that term in a board game's context because people use that term with drugs and alcoholism and things like that. But actually, acquisition of games is a real thing, and we do in a podcast, and sometimes that's a reason to justify doing and, and, and acquiring more games, right? That's... It's a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes when you're in the hobby and it's just a card game. It's only small. It fits on the shelf. What's the harm? Yeah, and like you said, it was 12 games for you, which that number could be you know, different for anybody, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Trying to limit yourself on something like that, which these smaller card games, it's really easy to get 12 of those in one sitting. So finding the restraint and really limiting yourself when you know that you've already almost because I think what was maybe two or three months in, you were yeah. already at eight or nine games. Like it was really quick out the gate. And it was so tight. And people were like, well, you've got nothing left for the year. You do realize that. What are you doing? It's that close. And the thing is, well, if you're importing stuff from Japan, it's that fallacy, Ryan, of, well, fallacy. It's a, it's a fact, actually, that you put more in the parcel to justify the cost of the postage to make it worth it. But then you put yeah. them on, you know, shelf and was it worth it that's the question you ask yourself right at the end of the year here we are 2023 yeah absolutely the concept of just tossing another game in to your box sure why not there's definitely room for it if it's going to cost me 60 dollars shipping for one game but it's going to cost me 60 dollars shipping for 15 games i may as well get 14 more games it's the same yeah, shipping exactly and so one question i think people must ask themselves here is what games are you not playing because of the games that you've just bought and want to play so because time is obviously a precious resource and arguably one of the most important commodities we have and do you have time to get it to the table and explore it? Even if you do, can you get it to the table and explore it to any degree of depth? Because some games necessitate, necessitate that, get my words out. Other games, maybe not. Maybe you can just play them once and it's fine. It doesn't really matter. But a lot of games demand and require that, that playtime to really... One example, Ryan, here probably is Trick Takers, the game. Of course, I know it's a game that you've played a lot, and so have I. But could you imagine just buying that and then just playing it once? You'd never get to explore any of those systems. Yeah, it's a much heavier game and it requires repeat plays. And that's absolutely not a cheap game at all. In the context of card game and trick-taking games, that's probably one of the more expensive ones you're going to come across. So if you're buying that when you already have 10 15 others back at home that you've only played once two or maybe not at all 
you want to explore those. Because I also gave myself a challenge a little bit after Patrick did his, and mine was to play my unplayed trick-taking games that I had on my shelf. When I started the challenge, I had 81 games. The additional caveat was I wasn't allowed to buy any other trick-taking, shedding, climbing games until I played through all of those unplayed games. Well, naturally, it's just as much as Patrick failed. I also failed as well. I think I got to maybe 30 of the games played. You did good. I bought one. Yeah, I did pretty well. And then I bought one game. And I was like, well, I'm going to give myself the exception because it was the Sailor Moon just Masquerade one. Battle. Just one. Just one. Yeah. And it was a, a grail game, as people call it. It's a game I've been looking for for years. Very hard to find at the time. Yeah, just one's the grail game, right? The game where you write on the whiteboard. <laughs> yes. And I found it for a very reasonable price. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to happen again. Well, funny enough, that game showed up a lot now, but I digress on that. Either way, it was just the one game. But the problem was... You just buy one game. It feels good to get a game and you get another game. And then I'm like, well, it's just one other and I'll make an exception. And then all of a sudden I had bought, I think, maybe 10 games. And I'm like, well, now my unplayed list is getting bigger again. And a lot of the games that were on my list didn't even have rules translated completed yet. So I I still am not even done. I think I'm at 58 or 59. I have to check the stats again. But most of the games that are left are ones that don't even have English rules yet. So why am I buying more games that don't have rules translated to add to the bigger pile of games that I already have that aren't translated? The games that would inevitably need sleeving, translating, interpreting rule case, edge cases to make sure that you've got it right and asking likes of me to tweet the designer just in case. (laughs) And that goes into, like you said, the factor of time. The time that you spend to translate and paste up takes away time from playing the game. So was it worth it? I mean, if you're not one of the people who does the translating, I guess this might not relate to you, but I do. I am the person, one of the, there are many people, I'm not only one, there's so many amazing, 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 amazing people that do the translations, but it does take time and effort, especially if you don't know Japanese and you're just using Google Lens or whatever translation services to do that. Would I have rather spent an hour and a half translating these rules? Would I rather have played another game that I already have the rules to, that I know I like? Exactly. Or potentially, again, that's tried and tested, is well regarded. You know who's going to land. Or the game that you've played, believe it or not, there is joy in playing a game you've played before with the group that you play games with. There's so many occasions, Ryan, where I've pulled out a new game and they said, not another one. Can't we just play something we know? And I'd sort of brushed it off. But now coming back to it, those words have never echoed more true that actually, yeah, you you have got a point. Let's just play something we know, we know we're going to like, we know we're going to have a good time uh-huh. with and it's going to land, right? Yeah. So I want to do a, a mid-review turnaround and give a hot take within our hot take, actually. <laughs> okay. So bear like with it. me. Okay. So while we say all of that, why would I want to spend the time translating rules and figure out if this game is going to be good or not? It's because you might actually be missing a good game. That is true. And that's because of Edo. I I knew it was coming. I know. Edo is a game that I have passed on for at least two years. Every order that I've made in Japan, when I get something from Badoge or Amazon Japan, I have seen this game show up. That spider on the string in its white box just stares at me and i've just been like eh, yeah i don't know whatever i haven't really looked into it didn't know what it was didn't care 
just another one of those games. And then I heard a little bit about it. I'm just like, eh, yeah, okay, whatever. And you with your arachnophobia. <laughs> yeah. And now I've played it. I'm obsessed with it. And my game group is obsessed with it. My wife is obsessed with it. It's one of those games where I'm like, holy crap, I'm so upset at myself that I didn't play this sooner. And you always have that feeling that every game that comes out like that might be that game. Might be the next What are you time. missing? Yeah. yeah. Like there's those Bob Jitten games. Now I'm worried those games are good, even though there's so much Japanese and so much translating that's required in those. But I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it'll be worth it. <laughs> maybe it'll be worth it. But I would say that the Ito gems come along. Of all the games I've imported from Japan, I'm not going to do it because not the time and place, but I could probably count on two hands, maybe up to 15 games that I would say are absolute phenomenal keepers and would be the games that if everything else left, it wouldn't matter because I could play these games indefinitely and enjoy them. I think that's the thing, isn't it, Ryan, that occasionally you do come across a game that absolutely blows you out of the water, but a lot of the time there's there's noise, there's work it becomes a bit like a, a job you know you're translating you're pasting up and maybe you get some joy out of that and it's quite creative and that's fun too it's just trying to balance it isn't it and that's the thing and and only adding stuff that you know i mean to be fair i'd done the research and development for you on on ito which was nice and made that recommendation and was glad to do it so it's always good to get recommendations from friends and check out what your geek buddies do if you on board game geek and people in the community yeah if you can get trusted reviews or opinions from people you've listened to or heard from before is always great obviously if it's someone in your gaming group or somebody who you know has similar tastes to you that always helps because i might be and you might also be you know talking about Ido and saying it's his best game ever but you might have somebody in your group or you personally might hate party games this is not going to be a game for you and that's quite possible yeah i i've i've believe that we get washed into a wave of euphoria sometimes when a new game comes out in the Tokyo games market everybody's talking about so must have it question is are they still talking about it in 12 months two years time because that to me is is the defining factor I don't just mean one person whispering about it in a quiet discord server I mean are a lot of people talking about it and showering praise is it being reprinted there's so much signs of credibility that we sometimes ignore in favor of just taking a complete punt sometimes it pays off but more than often it's just extra noise on the shelf getting in the way of those spectacular games it really can be so yeah being a little more selective with your collection for yourself whatever that means if it means only having five games 15 games whatever that is having the appropriate number and having the, of course, the appropriate time to be able to be able to play those is always good. Well, there you go. Nito came out in 2019, so it's had a few years of people playing it and laughing. So that's a that's a good testament to the game. It really is. Well, I believe that is our hot take off that's our chest. Cleansed. Long may it be cleansed, as they say <laughs> in some parts of the world. There we it's go. Beautiful. All right. Well, back to you, Eric. <laughs> Well, thanks. I think I feel like I'm not even the star of my own podcast episode anymore, but maybe that's how it should be. But it is interesting that euphoria sense that you get and we see all the time. I think especially in the board game hobby, a lot of people are kind of in a bubble, even if they don't really even think 
about it where if you're on a discord server you have this bubble of new games that might come out and then your bubble is really excited about that or if you're listening to any kind of board game podcast you're probably living in some kind of bubble right in which you have a lot of these new games that you hear about from one content creator or another and you're constantly into this wave of oh okay maybe there's another new game out and so i should buy that one and maybe there's another new game i should buy out, or at least i should look it up right so i need to write down this one that's on board game geek and you know what it's a thing that actually can get a little bit overwhelming hey folks we are the beans and dice podcast a podcast about how we game i'm carlos i'm rob i'm mike and i'm wayne and we're going to talk to you about our 2023 cleanse, something we got to get off our chest. But if you've got to get something off your chest, Thursday nights, our live call-in show, we talk to you about what you've been doing gaming-wise. But for Rob and I, what we want to get off our chest tonight is that burnout is real. Yeah, right, Rob? Absolutely. It, gaming is a lifetime hobby. Don't yeah. feel like you need to keep up yeah. with the Joneses, with your friends, with your neighbors on how many games they're playing or what new hotness they're getting into, because that's going to cause burnout. Just let it, let the abs happen. Let the flows happen. Roll with it. Quantity of games played does not equal the quality time you spend with friends. Yeah. Nobody needs that pressure. Nobody needs that anxiety. We had a caller on our call-in show this week that uh, was asking us about games we're looking forward to in 2024. My thought is, holy crap, I can't even get through the games of 2023, much less I'm still working on games in 2022. It just blows my mind to think about the number of games out there and trying to keep up with what's going to happen in 2024. So uh, I agree 100%. We just got to kind of go with it. You got to kind of do what you can do, uh, but don't feel the pressure to keep up with the Joneses. So I'm Wayne uh, from Be Nice Podcast. I have the same cleanse that uh, Mike has, so I'll let him start off. Yeah, so uh, I think we agreed that uh, our collection is getting a little too large and our cleanse is literally a board game cleanse where I feel okay with letting go of games that I know are not going to hit my table that I feel other people will get a lot more enjoyment out of. Also getting rid of a lot of those bigger board games to make room for smaller board games. So that's kind of like my cleanse. Yeah, and I think I agree. I've I've been actively gaming and collecting board games going on 23 years now. And so uh, I realized my board game collection has way outstripped my ability to play them. And and I think uh, I actually had a, a conversation with a, a Beans and Dice podcast uh, listener today uh, as I was picking up some some games from him even. And he was saying, I'm, I'm getting rid of, if I can't play a game in a year, I, I, why keep it, right? If I'm going to hold on to games for years without playing them, What's the purpose? And, and I have games that I haven't played in a decade. And it, why why is it still on my shelf? And, and uh, I've tried to sell them in the past. And there's just no reason. Like, I, I, I want to give them away to people, give them to libraries, give them to schools. Um, I, I've got my enjoyment out of the game. And it hasn't made it back to the table in a long enough period of time that it really just needs to move on. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm with Mike. Is this year is the year of the cleanse of uh, I'm taking my five six hundred board games down to maybe two two fifty ish, and uh, and go from there. So we'll see. That that's that's my hope this year. We'll see if I get to that point. But I'm definitely looking to cleanse a lot of the games out of my collection that's just not going to get played again. Don't forget and- Thursday nights live call in show. Be sure to check us out on YouTube, Beans and Dice Podcast. Man, this is really starting to make me feel bad because I think I definitely still, and this is partially because like I move around so much and it's hard for me to unload games and sell games as much as I want. Uh, but man, like I think I still have a net positive for this year where I have acquired 
more games than I have lost. But something that I think I've also started to explore about myself is that the collecting part of it, the finding an interesting game that nobody else has heard of and then introducing it to people is almost another faction of the same hobby for me. And this is something that we explored back towards the beginning of our podcast when we talked about the psychology of collecting, that there is something special about the item itself. There's something special about the board game itself. Of course, if it's a fun board game, that is the one I want to collect. But there's also something fun about the actual collecting of it. There's something special about kind of learning about this new game and then making that decision if it's worth to to pursue or not or the actual finding of it that I think I really enjoy and I hope that that's good enough right hello and happy new year everyone I'm Jaina from A Nerd Storian's Guide to Modern Board Games, where I sift through the boring parts of history, bringing you the interesting backgrounds behind today's modern games and mechanisms. But today, I'm actually here to share my hot take reflections from this past year. On January 1st, 2023, I was a naive, hopeful dreamer. And in this naive, hopeful dream state, decided that it would be a great idea to participate in the Board Game Barrage podcast's annual The Contest, where a group of equally naive and hopeful dreamers compete to see who can go the longest without buying a game. Now, given that my collection at the start of the year was well over 350 games, and that I'm quite frankly too embarrassed to tell you how many of those 350 games were acquired in 2022, it kind of seemed to be an insurmountable challenge. I have previously participated in this contest and only lasted until mid-April or so when my partner in crime, Sharon, decided that we needed to back the Everdell Complete Collection. So now, here we are at the end of 2023. I am somehow still in the contest and have not purchased any games for the entire year. Sure. I've traded for a few games and have coerced so many friends into buying games that I really wanted to try, technically not cheating, but for the first time since really diving into the hobby in 2016, my personal collection has actually shrunk this year as I culled more games than I acquired. And as this year draws to a close and I start to see that neon light shining at the end of this long tunnel, from a game store open sign, obviously, I am reflecting back on this year of restraint. I'd hope that by the end of this year, I'd have grown as a person and a gamer and tamed that capitalistic beast inside me that always wants just one more game to, to really complete the collection. Thought that I'd magically become the sort of person that wants to play the same game 50 times in a year to just really start plumbing the depths of the mechanisms or, you know, eschew the latest hotness in favor of exploring some of the pretty awesome titles in my current collection. Yeah, but it, it turns out that I am, I'm not that person. And you know what? I have decided that that's okay. The gaming hobby is such an interesting creature. On one hand, you have the many amazing content creators just inundating you with video reviews of the latest and greatest Kickstarters, podcasts where every week the hosts discuss the variety of games they got to the table, or written reviews covering great games new and old. But amid this celebration of excess, I've often sensed a certain disdain from many in the hobby, 
you know, directed at those who always want to play something new at game night, those who are constantly looking for a great deal on a new game, or those whose collections have grown in size to where they could probably start their own board game cafe with their collection. There are frequent questions on Board Game Geek, such as, you know, for those of you who own 100 plus games, how many do you actually get played each year? How do you justify having so many boxes that are still in shrink? Or, you know, my personal favorite, why do you keep buying new games when you have so many that you haven't played yet? So at the end of my year of restraint, I'm here to proudly declare that I am one of those people and I love it. My games room is my happy place. If I'm having a bad day, I can go downstairs, step into a room where I am surrounded by shelves of games, and immediately I feel a spark of joy. Even if I'm not playing my games, I love finding new and better ways to organize my shelves or resorting games for a faster setup time or, you know, making new games as I dive more into print and play games. According to BG Stats, I've only played around maybe 35% of my collection this year, but I don't care. After a year of no game purchases, I still have 12 games on my shelf of shame, but I don't care. I've also still only played a handful of games in my collection 15 plus times, but you guessed it, I don't care. So my hot take reflection from this year is to enjoy this amazing hobby in the way that you want to enjoy it. Do you love having a huge collection of games, even if you only ever play a handful of them? Cool. That's amazing, and I would love to see pictures of your collection. Do you find joy in a smaller, highly curated collection of games? Awesome. I am willing to lose to you at any game you want to play. Do you want to hunt down that grail game that you'll probably never actually play, but you just want to have on your collection so you can look at it? Do it. And I am happy to keep an eye out for that game for you. Do you just want to have 100 copies of different Monopoly versions? Uh, well, hmm. Okay, I guess I still need to work on my open-mindedness. But you know what? I get it. I too love collecting things, and I imagine those would look pretty awesome on shelves. So going into 2024, I'm vowing to stop chasing the feeling that there is a superior way to enjoy this hobby and just celebrate the awesomeness of board games in whichever way speaks to me. After having a discussion with my wallet, of course. Happy 2024 to everyone, and thank you to the Board Game Dojo for all the awesome things that they do, and thank you to everyone listening for sticking it out through my ramblings. I am looking forward to an amazing year of new games and new friends. And thank you to all of our friends for coming in clutch on such short notice to bring you the first annual cleanse episode, getting some things off of our chest that were on our minds for 2022. This is going to be our last episode of the Board Game Dojo for 2023. We will come back next week with our first episode of the new year, which is going to be kind of the same kind of episode, except for instead of some kind of hot takey or stuff we want to get off of our chest, we're going to be talking about our hopes for the new year, things we want to accomplish in this new year. So we hope that you have had a wonderful holiday season. We will see you after the new year's. And so in advance, happy new year's. We will see you in 2024. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next year, janne. Ja